Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of the Great Canadian Songbook, the weekly show where we go through and we are deciding the greatest Canadian album slash artist, question mark, who's to say? Um, as always, I'm Jackson Wells, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Keegan Gedrich. Keegan, how are you doing uh, this fine evening? Well, I've been introduced as lovely, so I mean, I don't know if I can get much better than that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm good. No complaints. I mean, I'm trying to get over this speech thing, but you know, it's fine. Oh yeah. I think it's okay. I think you sound great. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as, as we've discussed last week, we've, we've entered into our quarterfinals where we're pitting together, uh, albums that we've already talked about. So, uh, as our ever evolving format changes, uh, I think, you know, it will be fun. Keegan. What have you been listening to recently? What have I been listening to? Um, actually, this past week, I've been really um, listening to a lot of uh, Frightened Rabbit. I don't know if you know. Not familiar. They are. Um, they're a uh, Scottish band. They started out in around 2006 or so. Um, and they went till till about 2018. Uh, great, great band. Um, kind of not really underground. They're pretty well known, but not like super, super famous. Um their, their lead singer, Scott, he um, he unfortunately passed away in 2018, but um, they uh, they had a really great, uh, I think, 12 year or so career. Um, really fantastic lyrics, um, really sad music, but um, it's uh, it's really, really good. And I highly recommend you check them out. Uh, they're a fantastic band. So, um, yeah, Frightened Rabbit. How about you? Uh, I, I've been listening to what have I been listening to? It's a good question. Listening to our two albums we're talking about, we'll get to that. Um, mm. Oh, I guess I've been getting into what I'm learning is called uh, this genre called city pop. It's it's kind of a um, I was reading a little bit about this weekend just because I was like randomly listening to music that I liked and I was like, what is this? Uh, you know, sometimes things just pop up on like Spotify or YouTube or something. Mm. City pop. It's like uh, it's like a very like loosely connected genre of early or late seventies to mid eighties, uh, like Japanese, like pop rock music. Now, when I say like Japanese pop, you might be like thinking of like K-pop. Uh, it's obviously not that, um, but it's kind of like a little funky. Um, I would say it has like, uh, like beach vibes in some weird ways. Um, that like, you're like, Oh, I can see myself listening to this. Like at the beach or something like that. But if you're getting like a little different vibe, uh, it's very interesting uh, reading about kind of like popular music from like other countries or specifically like non-English speaking countries. Um, mm -hmm. what, what albums have I listened to? I've listened to the album Summer Breeze by Piper, which is a good album. And um, what was the other one? Ooh, it's, it's a name. It's Oceanside by Momoko Kikuchi. Um, and another thing I've been doing is I've been listening to, uh, we're just doing it, is like people playing records on YouTube, that, which is which is weird because you think, well, I just listen to record. Well, we don't all have that capability uh, every day. Uh, I certainly don't. But like you still get like the sound of like a record. Um, this like mm. account I've been listening to is like really high quality audio. I don't know. And so it sounds mm. like you're listening to a record where you don't like actually have to do. It. And it's like the vibes are so good. Cause like the video has like the record kind of spinning and when you're watching it. So like maybe you're doing something, you listen to music, you look over and like, ah, yes, it's like, I'm really there. Uh, <laughs> except you're just watching a YouTube video. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
All right. Exploring new genres, you know? Yeah, just, you know, learning, growing, always becoming better. Uh, it's, it's what we live for. <laughs> Anyways, um, in that case, we can hop right into it. Uh, our matchup today, where we have, ooh, I was going to guess a year. I'm going to guess 2008. Um, City and Colors, Bring Me Your Love, against uh, Russia's 1981 album, Moving Pictures 2, um, and teased last week by Keegan. This was going to be a real a real barn burner of, of a matchup. This is, a, this is tight. Um, of course, we've already discussed both these albums. Uh, Bring Me Your Love is, has powered through... Uh, two rounds already, whereas uh, Rush had the the benefit of the buy. But yeah, um, I guess uh, the best way to do it is for maybe to briefly talk about the two. And then we also want to talk maybe a little more broadly like we did last week. I think that's a, a productive way to go about it. So maybe maybe I'll throw it to you, Keegan. Maybe we'll start with uh, the, the great Dallas Green's uh, work. We can talk about that and then maybe speak more broadly. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Bring me your love. Dallas green, uh, obviously city in color 2008. Um, sorry, I'm still getting used to this, so I'm really trying my hardest to like speak properly, but, um, <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, a really, really amazing record. Um, this is his second, second album. His first one sometimes came in 2005. Um, and this one is really prominent because it has his first feature and one of his only features on this record, um, on Sleeping Sickness, you have um, obviously Gord Downey coming in and making an appearance on this record. Um, I, I'm. Do you want me to contextualize it, or do you want me just to talk about the album? Contextualize it. Give us, give us the world. The world of sure. Dallas. Sure. Um, yeah, and, and this record I think was one year away from the next Alexis on Fire record too. If if you've heard us talk about them before, um, Dallas Green obviously from Alexis on Fire fame, um, doing his uh, side project City in Color. Uh, following that, um, their more recent album as of this point would have been 2006, and so this is an in between um, of Alexis on Fire records when um, he was still kind of doing a back and forth. Um, completely opposite and probably his most toned down album of everything that he's ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, even sometimes had a little bit more, um, to it, I think than than this album, it's very, very bare bones, um, and complete opposite of what Alexis on fire is. Uh, it's still shocking that this is even a project that he did because yeah. it just is so far off the, the beaten path, um, from what he was kind of known for <laughs> at this point. Um, but no, to put it into to context, I mean, his next album after this would have been Little Hell, and he would have gone a little bit more, uh, still keeping that kind of folky vibe, but he puts a bit, little bit more instrumentation, um, some harder songs, like I believe you have Fragile Bird on his next record, um, which kind of gets into the more, um, I don't even know how to categorize, more like the alt alt rock kind of yeah. vibe that he goes towards after that you have um the hurry and the harm comes out in 2013 really kind of conflating between folk and then that that rock vibe alt rock um ladies and gentlemen um harder than stone um paradise thirst those are just some of the songs i can think of that kind of start blurring the boundaries a little bit for him 2015 he kind of just goes completely to the alt rock yeah um if i should go before you a couple folk songs on there too with kind of the um that kind of vibe with like friends and um 
I think map of the world are probably the best, best ways to go mm-hmm. about it there. And then he just kind of gives up on a pill for loneliness and really goes with the kind of spacey yeah. um, alt rock vibe. So he he's really, had quite he, the, he has, sorry. he has like the, uh, indie, like folk rock guy, like arc for, for album, like styles, like he starts off just like him and his guitar. And then he becomes like, the indie Jack white kind of style that like everyone was kind of trying to do. And then he goes spacey, uh, which is what, what people do in my head. In my head, I picture like the, like Bon Iver analog, except Bon Iver yeah. went a little more electric or not electric, electronic, uh, a specific distinction there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It's got an interesting career. Yeah. I kind of like, I look at him kind of like death cab, Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of in that sense too, where, where it's kind of like always kind of going between those two. Um, and, and in saying all that, like he does it all very well. Um, I personally do not think that Dallas green has made a bad album as city in color. I think that you've got at least half the album on every one of his albums is just straight phenomenal um he's got a couple like iffy ones here and there in my opinion but all around like he does a really good job but i think what what stood out for me when talking about bring me your love and it's actually 2007 that's my bad um what stood out for me is the fact that it's a very personal record it deals with you know topics about like it talks about death a lot um it talks about like um morality like all these like super philosophical kind of concepts put down into like a very simple man and guitar um kind of just speaking to you vibe and uh and that really does something for me and i think i think that really does something for a lot of folks too who listen to it it's not super um you know complex it just it does the job and the lyrics knock it out of the park and the instrumentation knocks it out of the park and i think it just that's where it fits in that unique um, unique little vacuum for me uh, for Dallas Green and that's what I think makes this album really great is that it is very personal and mm. uh, you really feel like you're getting to uh, kind of get a look inside his mind so yeah um, I I, um, I ranted for a minute there Jackson oh, no. go ahead <laughs> yeah this one for me um, is interesting because this album to me has always just felt like um, one of the like seminal uh, albums of this time and genre um, and it's kind of interesting, like looking into it, we're like, it's, it's kind of not, um, in like, a a global sense. Um, I think, uh, it certainly kind of has like a particular like struck chord in, in Canada, which I think is interesting because Dallas Green is like, obviously like a successful artist outside of Canada. Like he did a whole album with pink, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, that is also pretty good if I remember correctly. So like he's mm-hmm. clearly like not um indie Canada darling. Um but it's interesting to kind of contextualize it because like to me, like Bring Me Your Love is one of the like 21st century like Canadian albums. Uh when you look at it, it's like as like a more global sense, it's like not as big as I thought when I was reading about it. Like mm-hmm. I assume this was kind of like I, I made the analog already, but like on that by Niver um to emma forever go like scale like just like massive like hit and it's like it's like not yeah. which i think is interesting just because we're talking about canadian albums and i think that is is relevant um that this feels so big and i don't think it's like a just me thing i think it's a culturally where we are is like 
kind of Canadians of a certain age uh, of, of a, of a fan of like a certain like type of genre of music. Um, so it's super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think that's super interesting to kind of consider like, obviously um, he is a successful artist uh, in many ways worldwide, but I do think he, he maintains that kind of, Canadian, like larger celebrity status. I, I even just briefly looked at his, um, his, his record numbers, all of his albums since little hill have hit number one on Canada and the highest he's hit in the States is the hurry and the harm at 16. Um, which is interesting. Um, I mean like 16 in the, in the States is like not nothing, not something to like scoff at, but, um, uh, he certainly is, is Canadian to me is, and that's kind of been my, um, my kind of major takeaway. Yeah. I think he, he has quite an audience in, uh, in the UK as mm, well. I see uh, that. From what I can tell, he kind of ends up back there a lot. To be honest, I think Alexis on fire the same way too. Um, they, for some reason, they just kind of connect with, uh, with British and, uh, uh, audiences over there. That's so. another one too, um, where like Alexis on fire is like, just a band that like i assumed everyone knew until you talk to someone who lives outside of canada they're like yeah who is alexis on fire they're like we have no fucking idea and you're like <laughs> oh that's weird yep so yeah that's that's kind of well we'll we'll, we'll put a pin in that how does how does that mm-hmm. sound that's not like an appropriate way to go about it yeah and then we'll yep. move to um undoubtedly a very different album uh <laughs> which is the rushes moving pictures. Um, and I guess once again, you, you, you're maybe more of the rush guys. So maybe you can contextualize it for us and I can be like, yeah, what about these rush fellas? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it, the cool thing about moving pictures is that it's kind of what I would consider their, um, you know, if you're looking at it like a graph, you kind of have their beginning of their career and they're just kind of trending up, trending up, trending up. And then I think it hits moving pictures and it doesn't necessarily drop as fast as like it came up, but it it's definitely not the same from there. Um, it's their seminal work. Um, yeah. it, it, it's the, the thing about rush is that they, they have such a, a long career, a 40 year career, essentially um, <laughs> of great, great albums, great musicianship, um, great records and on every one of those records was always going to be one or two songs that just um, completely stand out um, with moving pictures. It's the, their a side of this record, man. Um, <laughs> ooh, um, they really, uh, they really knock it out of the park um, to put it into perspective. And I'm not going to go through all their albums, but I'll put it kind of into a bit mm-hmm. of an idea. Um, Cause there they are many the of them. <laughs> They got, yeah, they got a lot. Um, they get to start in 74 um, with their original drummer um, and their self-titled record Rush. Um, and uh, In the Mood is kind of their uh, their big one off of that record as well as Working Man. Um, they really, uh, really came into their own there. Fly By Night comes out a year later in 75, which, oh my God. Um, you look at it in hindsight and you're like, really? Um, Anthem, Fly By Night um or two they're probably stand at once from there um caress of steel comes out the same year um in 1975 uh, uh the steel day lakeside park um two uh two really stand at ones in the uh in the 
I guess the historiography of, of Rush. They put out a live record in the next year, All the World's a Stage, which is probably one of the best live records of all time, in my opinion. Um, and they actually, um, they have 2112 on there, which I feel like I forgot to include 2112, uh, which came out yeah. in 1976 as well, I believe. Um, so in a three-year period, they've already put out like their best records, in my opinion. Um, 1977, Farewell the Kings, Closer to the Heart, Farewell the Kings, the song. Um, and Hemispheres comes out um, with uh, the trees, uh, La Villa Strangiato, um, re- these really long ballads. Permanent Waves comes out in 1980. Like I, I, We're talking six years, and these guys are like, I can't begin to articulate how much effort they put into this. Spirit of Radio, Free Will, Jacob's Ladder comes out in 1980. And then in 1981, we have Moving Pictures, uh, Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, YYZ, Limelight. Like in all their best songs come out in this like seven year period. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a fact in my opinion, a fact in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You get the point. Um, yeah. <laughs> Exit stage left. Another live record comes out in 1981 based on their touring from 1980. So again, they have two more records out in 1981. Signals comes out in 1982 um, with subdivisions, analog kid, new world man. Again, I'm I'm listing their popular ones because I feel like they're the ones that people understand a bit more. And I'm going to stop after I get to 1984, uh, which is Grace Under Pressure, uh, Distant Early Warning, Red Sector A, uh, Body Electric um, are the songs that I can think of there. Um, and obviously they have a very long career after that. But yeah. I just kind of wanted to touch on that 10 year period because I think it's important for in context. Moving Pictures fits right in the middle. Holy shit. Um, g- give me like any other band that within a 10 year period um i mean there's probably a couple but within that period that just really knocks it out of the park rush is one of those bands moving pictures is one of those records where they like i i just i i put it into context i'm like how do you go from making spirit of the radio and free will in 1980 to the next year putting out tom sawyer red barchetta yyz limelight and like that just being like a like a whatever thing um yeah, really, really amazing. Um, this is also uh, at the height of when they started doing their synth uh, work. And uh, I think that's some of their best work through the 80s, in my opinion. Um, not a fact, just in my opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, I, again, I could probably go on for a while about these guys, but you're really catching them at their prime. This is peak, peak mm-hmm. Rush. This is what everybody remembers Rush to be. Um, and uh, just a phen- phenomenal record. I am a huge fan. Um, and I'm going to yeah. shut up now, Jackson, please start talking so I can stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving pictures. It, it's, it's, um, it, it feels like, uh, the perfect album isn't what I want to say. Cause I feel like that qualifies it too much, but like, it, it just, it feels like a, a, everything coming together. Um, in such a short period of time, like, I don't need to say that, wow, the Rush put out a lot of albums. Uh, Keegan just said them all and you're, everyone else is already thinking <laughs> that. Um, but really though, like, wow, they, they like to be so prolific and up until that point being kind of like consistently at the very least pretty good uh, it is, it's just so impressive. And it's something that um, I think maybe doesn't get talked enough about when they talk about Rush. Um how that like first like 10 years of their career, which like 10 years for a career can be pretty long if you're not one of the most successful rock bands of all time. But like, you know, you put out an album every couple of years and you tour, but like not, not these folks and they're putting out 
original albums uh, and then like two live albums and which happen to be some fantastic live albums. It's, it's, it's really impressive kind of the way their career goes. And then like, you know, they go on and they make less successful original like work, but they continue to be rush. And like, once you're rush, you don't really have to worry about too much more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can can put on a concert to a hundred thousand people and, Maybe you play a couple tracks from the new album that no one really cares about. But then, then you play Tom Sawyer, and everyone is just like screaming your name. Um, yeah, which I think is a perfectly respectable way to to go about things, um, especially like for a group like Rush, which really does just kind of seem like three buddies making music and <laughs> hoping for the best. Um, yeah, I think this album is is super impressive, and then to kind of think of it as um really the apex of their career um at the very least uh success successfully wise as in like um commercial success but also also critically this is like probably their best um received album yeah it's 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 a really impressive so just like google rush and very briefly kind of go <laughs> through what they're like it, it you can kind of see it all kind of point to rush or point to moving pictures in in a very interesting way. And I mean, the album certainly like backs it up in its quality. Yeah, and, and I want to say like real quick, like like, and I kind of touched on this before. Like their albums afterwards are not bad albums, and they still did very very oh, well. Yeah. Like like Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, and Show of Hands was a live record, and Presto. All of those albums all came out within the 80s, like after that, mm-hmm. like we're not even talking into the 90s yet. Like they had some really great songs, some really great records, not dismissing those at all because their albums afterwards are still fantastic, like fan fucking tastic albums. Um, Roll the Bones, I think, is probably one of their best in 1991. But um, yeah, you, you kind of encapsulated it like moving pictures really is just the it's the it's the it's the benchmark. It's, um, um, it's interesting too. think of any, um, like very successful to like moderately successful, like rock pop, any act you can think of from like the eighties or nineties or like eighties, seventies, you look at the albums they've been making, they still sell like crazy. Um, like when we say they go down, um, up until like the mid nineties, Rush was still hitting platinum on like everything that they're yeah. selling. Uh, so when we're like, oh yeah, they weren't as big, they, they were still selling um, an incredible amount uh, of albums, which I think is is always funny too. Even when we talked about Alanis, like her albums are still selling, mm-hmm. like her next couple albums sold pretty well. Maybe, maybe her latest stuff didn't, but like still all these like, all these bands that you're like, oh man, they put out a really successful album and then they kind of fell off. It's like, well, generally, <laughs> <But did> they? <laughs> they, generally they don't. Um, yeah. yeah, Rush, it's um, really, really interesting, um, their career. And then obviously um, it's, it's they're, they're, they, they kind of had, had to stop like before Neil Peart passed, like they, they had already pretty much stopped for, for other reasons. Um, but I think, I think they, they stopped probably at the appropriate time for them. We're like, think of a lot of bands now. It's like, they stopped putting out albums. They're still kind of going around. It's like, ah, are, are you tired? <laughs> and they, they were at the, they kind of 
seem like they were lucky enough to get the permit. They're like, yeah, I think we are tired. Let's just, yeah, let's just stop. And then, and then like now they're, now they're obviously pretty much done for good. Um, now that Neil Peart's passed. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've big respect for a band like Rush who can be incredibly successful, um, commercially and critically. And then like continue to make music that you want to make. Um, mm-hmm. and then say, and now we are done. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. And, and listen, like they, they called that, I think it was 2015 or 2016. So it was after, after their 40, 41st year, I believe they did their R40 tour. And then they were basically just like, we're going to do a couple last shows and then we're done. Um, Neil's arthritis is like kicking up pretty bad. And like, he just can't like, you got to understand at that point, he was like a 65 year old dude trying to play his drum parts that he played when he was like 25. Yeah. And especially for Neil Peart, who's like regarded as probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest drummer in rock and roll. Um, very hard to do when you get past 50, let alone uh, 60. Um, yep. So uh, yeah, listen, like they, they called it obviously a couple of years ago, like before, obviously before Neil passed away. Um, and at that point, everybody was like, bra fucking vote. Like you guys did a really great job. Um, and one thing to note that a lot of people don't know, too, is like they almost called it quits in 1997 um, because Neil's uh, Neil's daughter, uh, his 17 year old daughter, died in a car crash um, going to college, uh, going to start college in Toronto. And a year later, he lost his wife to cancer. Right. And so um, they, <laughs> you know, they almost had a uh, they almost called it quits then. And actually, I've got I've got the book right here on or Neil Peart's uh, Ghost Rider. He wrote. Um, based on his journals from 1999 um, and around 2000 and him basically just going on a bike ride across North America, trying to find himself again. Um, and so then they had their test for echo album came out in 1996. Um, and then they came back for, I believe it was vapor trails in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but for, you know, they almost weren't a band and they almost didn't have the back half of their career. Um, and to be honest with you, they could have called it in 1997 and still had a longer, more successful and better career than I would argue 75 to 80 percent of most <laughs> musicians in yeah. bands, um, especially in Canada. So um, the fact that they were able to go on and make another 20 years of music um, is, is there's, <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that. And um, yeah, r- really just amazing stuff. And I, I think nobody can deny that they live in the. Uh, Canadian literal hall of fame and also the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the mental the hearts and minds, the hearts and minds. Yeah, hearts and minds. Yeah. So, um, really great stuff. And I just wanted to throw that in cause I think it's important to, to talk about for their career too. Uh, yeah. the adversity they overcame. I think it's also, um, I may be speaking cause like, I may, I may be wrong. So correct me, but like, uh, when you think of like bands from the seventies and eighties, particularly of like this genre, you think of a lot of like assholes, um, yeah. and as, as far as I know, unless I'm like really stepping into here, like they seem like pretty nice guys for the most part. They were considered probably some of the nicest people in rock and roll. Yeah. Um, they, you know, like, like Neil didn't really, really like the media attention, um, for, for good reason. A lot of it brought on with like his later events and like in life and during everything that happened to him. Uh, but Neil never really cared for, for the media or anything, but they were never, from what I, I've I've heard and seen everywhere, they were the nicest kind. Um, Alex Lifeson, Getty Lee, um, like everybody, they were just you know they always had good intentions and they uh, they never 
I don't think they ever rubbed anybody the wrong way from what I can, uh, from what I can gather. So, um, really, really going in and taking on that Canadian persona and Canadian identity. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, like in, not to get into it too much, but you wonder how much of that is, is representative of, of a Canadian identity in some way too, you know, like they just kind of put their heads down and did the work and, um, they never really sought out the fame you know you can listen to limelight off of this record mm-hmm. um, and you can you can hear that but they never really sought it out and they just kind of um put their heads down live good lives and put out some good music so um something to be said about that yeah 100 percent. okay so now we have uh talked about these these two lovely very different uh groups of artists a little bit think um now is the time to talk about them together i'm not going to say what happens next but we can talk <laughs> about them in comparison to each other i don't know if you have maybe any initial thoughts you want to talk about um or not well well sure i'll get right into um one thing that i think we've talked about which i don't think will have as much application here but i do want to talk about it real quick um there's two things with moving pictures particularly that are distinctly tied to canadian culture um you know the album art moving pictures is in front of queen's park mm-hmm. um i don't know if many people know that but it's taken um in front of uh, queen's park at the, the provincial parliament um and uh, which already is <laughs> you know yeah, it's, it's, pretty it's, r- it's right there um and uh yyz the actual the name of that song and the beat for that song actually the the that comes directly from uh them being in an airplane one time alex was flying i believe um and um the uh the morse code for yyz um was the pattern of how the song goes that's super cool i didn't know that that and so neil heard that and he went that sounds cool. I've got an idea. Um, and that's how YYZ was born. And obviously YYZ is the airport code for uh, Pearson. So yes. uh, I, I want to touch <laughs> on those two things particularly because I know we've talked a lot about like what references they have to Canadian culture. Obviously, I don't think you're going to beat the Tragically Hips fully completely. I think that's a little bit of a hard feat. Yeah. Um, but but having that is, is very important. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure if there's anything direct or explicit in bring me your love that i can think of off the top of my head um mm, yeah that directly references anything canadian in like in explicit uh, terms. other than the obvious connection of gordani which is yeah maybe a more meta piece of uh <laughs> canadian reference yeah but um but yeah other than that i just want to touch on that real quick mm-hmm. um that was one thing that I think we've talked about a little bit uh, from time mm. to time. So I thought that was important. Um, what thoughts do you have kind of initially? Yeah, um, I think uh, this, this, this one's tough because um, well, obviously both these albums are really good uh, off the start. Uh, we've already discussed that. I don't think we need to go over the merits of them 100%. You can listen back to previous episodes uh, of the Great Canadian <laughs> Songbook if you'd like to do that. Um, there's just... Uh, the uh something funny always happens to me when i listen to rush is i go particularly for this show i go ah i have to listen to rush for next week's episode ah that's that's kind of uh okay like they're good but and then i listen i'm like yeah this this is really good i love listening to this (laughs) and then i put it down it's like ah 
I gotta listen to some more Rush later. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it. And then even even as you were talking through their like discography, and you were like referencing songs, I was like, oh yeah, that, that song's pretty good. I like that song. There's like, <laughs> it's so, it's so, something weird in my head about the thought of listening to Rush never excites me. And then I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, this is a this is a good <laughs> song. I like this. Um, I just think that's funny. I don't know how relevant that is to the conversation. Um but it's very funny. Um, and then, and then there's bring your love, which uh, it's gotta be one of my favorite albums of all time. I don't know if I, it's just something. So this is also one of those albums where we love that if like I, I started listening to when I was in like high school and is one of the few things I did in high school that like sticks with me, uh, yeah. everything else. I'm like, Ooh, that was, why'd you do that? Why'd you listen to that? Um, something about this one, this, he, he puts together Dallas Green puts together a a list of songs um, that honestly can kind of kind of just sit on their own. It's like a collection of songs, but they all feel so so intimate, um, so real, so personal. And in the case of something like like Sleeping Sickness, for me at the very least, kind of like kind of really like like bops like it's like a it's like a good kind of like upbeat acoustic song still well i don't i don't know if it's happy uh, necessarily yeah, but like upbeat, maybe not <laughs> uh the 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 tempo of the song yeah. is is raised and like i think that really helps this album i think if it, it was like one to twelve of just like the saddest most like bummer things you've ever heard even if maybe the lyrical content is consistently like that throughout it could be a little like grating or too much. Whereas like mm. it kind of, it kind of bounces around enough where it's, it's exciting to listen to obviously uh, an album full of sad, like slow songs, not necessarily bad. It's just like, it could be harder to listen to um, on repeat, which is what I've been doing when yeah. I'm listening to this album. So it certainly is, is helpful for me. Um, yeah. I, I feel like both these songs or both these albums front to back are like, really powerful whenever i get into this album uh bring me your love i'm like is it just sleeping sickness and the girl for me that i really like and then i listen to it all the way through again it's like no all of these all of these are so so good the entire time yeah and honestly you have a really good point there and i actually i'm just pulling the album up real quick too i have i have fallen asleep to um constant not a lot and that song is great because it ends on it kind of sounds like almost like a like a choir kind of like going out like and it's uh, it's just something really great about that feeling um maybe i'll touch more on the rush out because i think we're both really big fans of of bring me your love but maybe i kind of want to i want to do moving pictures some some credit here um Actually, what I'll touch on, I'll touch on this first. Uh, neither of these artists I got into on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't just find them one day and I was like, oh, like, this is great. Um, Rush, I got from my dad. Um, like, Who, through and through. I think Rush has exclusively been passed on by fathers uh, for the by past fathers, yeah, 15 so, years. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if your dad is between the ages of 40 and 60, nine chances out of 10, he gave you Rush. Um, <laughs> and you're Canadian, he 100% gave you Rush. Um so I mean, and so that's where I'll start with that. And then City in Color, my ex got me into it, into City in Color. Um, our first concert <laughs> together was City in Color. I think we saw we saw him together two or three times. Um, 
and so like that and that was kind of like the tie that, that like bound us for a while like we really like connected on on city and color and i was like wow this is really great um and, and so i preface that to like say like i have two different listening experiences when that i explain so much man i get it <laughs> well i mean you know it just is what it is um but like with moving pictures i want to start there because like this is an album that i'll put it on my record player and i touched on this when we when we first talked about it i put this on the record player and oh my god like the needle drops and then you hear the beam and you hear the synth come in kind of like the the downward oh my god like what a way to start a record um i think that limelight is one of the best songwriting like like lyrically content of all time i think it's very self-aware um talking about you know like you know literally living in the limelight and like it kind of it's not all it's fucking hyped up to be mm-hmm. um, I, and i think uh sorry to inject but it could be so easy for like the biggest uh rock band in the world to be like oh, i hate being a celebrity and oh it's so tough but like limelight is so good and it like doesn't hit those notes at all i think it's really uh to to the credit of parrot's writing yeah, and it's like it because it doesn't come across like, oh, my life is so hard. I'm rich and famous. How could it be? Woe is me. Like, it's not, you know, you get that sometimes, like, I think in pop stars and, and what have you. But with Limelight, you're just like, y- you feel that. You're like, hey, we recognize where we are. And like, it's good. But like, it also kind of sucks. And like, the thing is, like, and, and from what I've read and from what I know, like, they really didn't like being famous. Like they like especially Neil. Neil fucking hated it. He yeah. didn't he did not like being famous. He didn't want want to be famous. That was never his goal. Um he just wanted to play music and and go and do his job, right? Like like he was passionate about music obviously. Like obviously, but it was his job. Like it was the thing that he did and it was what he was good at. But you don't get that that sense and I think obviously it's a bit different. Like, I don't think there's lyrical content the same way. And well, YYZ doesn't count because instrumental. <laughs> um, but, you know, the camera eye, witch hunt, vital signs, they don't really give you that same idea. But even in Red Barchetta, there's this sense of like, like mystery and like talking about about the about history and talking about like being connected to like like family in a way too. like, you know, my uncle had a country place that no one knows about. And so like. It, obviously they're trying to tell tell a story with that and um there's just something really like musically powerful about this record and i think um if we go lyrically i think red barchetta is really the only one uh that kind of gets the nod i think on on moving pictures mm-hmm. whereas if you go with bring me your love you can go through every single song and go holy shit <laughs> the songwriting on this yeah. is fantastic because it is um but but there is something like uniquely I, I don't even know what the word is, but like uniquely powerful about moving pictures. You know that it's different. You know that it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and you like, and, and I kind of understand what you mean where you're like, oh, I have to listen to Rush because like, I, I don't really know if it's easy listening or listening. Yeah. Sorry. You know, like it, it can be, but if you're listening to The Camera Eye, which is an 11 minute song, you got to think about it. I think this is Rush at their most accessible. Um, And even then it's not like, uh, not the easiest. Um, Not to say that that's bad. And um, just to clarify, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
from from someone who doesn't willfully listen to Rush a lot, uh, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't hate them. Uh, it's it's certainly not the easiest of listening, but it's so good. Yeah. So it's it it makes it easier. I, I do have but, one more note on Bring Me Your Love that I guess is more about City and Color as a whole that I think is super funny. The connection is super obvious, but like every every like hardcore and by hardcore I mean like the music genre hardcore like fan I know loves only hardcore bands and Dallas Green City and Color. I think mm. it's so funny. Uh, everyone knows like a metalhead who loves like the girl. <laughs> it's so funny. It's to so me. weird. Uh, it's it's, it, just, well, it's it's funny how it works, right? You're just like mm-hmm. it's the last thing you'd expect, and you're like, you like that song? Yeah, really? and you're like, it, like it makes sense because he's like a big, he's like a, one of the lead singers of your favorite band. But like, you don't have to love everything he does, but people actually do, and I think that's one of the things that um, is really too seeing college credit. It's like how universal it can be. Um, yeah. Like, this is a genre that people love, but it's also like an accessible form to people who don't like it. And maybe that mostly comes from being Dallas Green of Alexis on Fire. Um, but I do think there's something uh, something broader about that. And I, I want to say one of the one of the reasons that spurred this thought, other than it just like being true in my life, is looking at like the the review scores on this album on Wikipedia. Th- two of them are from absolutepunk.net and punktv.ca. Mm-hmm. Imagine being the music reviewer from absolutepunk.net having to review Bring Me Your Love. <laughs> what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'd be but doing it, as I'm listening to... But then to, it reviewed <laughs> super well from those two outlets. So I think it's fun. I don't know. It's funny. Yeah. And like... And here's a thought. Like I sound like fucking John Madden. Well, here's a thought. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> but um, if you if you take if you take punk in metal and even like core songs, and you take them and you take the lyrics, and you just plop them into a stripped down acoustic session. That's what he's doing. It's city and color, yeah. <laughs> like you know, like and, and to the same extent, like. If you put these concepts and these themes and these ideas into heavy metal, you get Alexis on fire. Like it's not, it's no different. It really yeah. isn't. It's just the instrumentation. Like, I think it, we're, it, we're so lucky to have this easy comparison point. Cause like it's so <laughs> obvious, but you won't think about it until you've got the, one of the core lead singers of a post hardcore band who does his folk album. And you're like, of course these two things are the exact same. Well, well, think about and I'll, I'll use another one of my bands, you know, my bands as this example. Like, think about Numb by Linkin Park. You know how that song sounds, right? Like super like kind of techno-y, techno-y, like obviously like new metal, like you know how it sounds. Take that, go listen to the piano version where they do the strip down of just Chester and then Mike playing piano to it. Completely different, like not even not even the same, but the lyrics tie it together right mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting to look at it like that like where does it just break genre and just become a good thing that everybody likes once you know the the confines of what genre is are stripped away from it and you're just looking at it like oh this is really like the song's written really well yeah. right so so it's interesting to take that that point of view on it and it, did you have a point i, I think you're going to mention something there too yeah it's just i feel like um it's interesting to see how um city and color kind of makes 
I keep using Dallas Green and St. Clair interchangeably, but whatever. They make this kind of like universal thing where, um, whereas like moving pictures just feels so like it couldn't be other, any other way. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. And they're both like fantastic for it. So this is why this is so hard. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, we're really talking around it here. We might have to, we might have to go for it at some point. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Like, like, I, I think I think objectively, if you're the general public, what are you listening to? And you're going to go, oh, that's really good. Russia's not easy listening. I know I said it before, but like like there are some songs where you just go, OK, I can't fucking do this. Um, and it's it's not that it's bad. Like, that's not at all the case. Right. But, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pull up 21 tall for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, 2112 is a great record by Rush. Okay. But if you have to listen, your first time listening to Rush is 2112 Overture, Temples of Searings and Discovery, oh. which is a 20 minute and 39 <laughs> second long, like composition. You're not going to fucking listen to never, that again. You'll, you'll never listen to music again. <laughs> no, but the, it, that's the thing, right? But whereas like if you listen to a passage to Bangkok, for example, if you're into that style of the music, it's a three minute, 35 second song. You go, OK, that's a good thing to get me into this band. Great. Like it rushes. Like, I don't think they were, didn't really have singles, but like Rush's singles. You know, you think about Spirit of Radio, you think about Tom Sawyer. Good way to get into the band. Right. But there's a point where you go. Uh, I'm going to skip this one because this is too long and I don't understand it. Pink Floyd, you could say the same fucking thing for them, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, as I'm talking about it, I'm realizing if you listen to um, any of their first couple albums, oh boy, are you in for a treat? Um, so just do drugs. It's easier. Just do drugs, basically, <laughs> which which I don't even think Rush did that many. I think they just smoked a lot of pot, but that's fine. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, because I think I think in the psyche of of canadians in in, mm-hmm. in this idea of canadianness you just think about you like rush is a canadian band which they mm-hmm. are <laughs> they're like they're mm-hmm. undisputably a canadian band they they have had their success in canada but they've they've done well other places um you know but i i think about like how easy to access is your music and i think honestly rush is the only person or the only band in this entire discussion that we have to have this conversation about yeah um you know but because they are so different for what it's worth um i do think that they are the one of the top three canadian bands of all time yeah i i and i don't i don't say first or second because i don't want to take away from tragically hip or the band who i think are the other yeah. ones who fit that um <laughs> you know and, and i i they're they're certainly i think as a group and for what they've done they are greater canadian artists or they are a, a greater canadian band than city and color mm-hmm. i think that's fair to say yeah personally i think that's that's a fair because i think greatness is not just about what you accomplish but it's about the time that it takes to accomplishment or accomplish it. And the time that passes since you have accomplished it, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think it, I'll use hockey real quick. Cause I just want to use this as an example. Wayne Gretzky is the greatest person to ever play, play the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Does, 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 for example, does nowadays, let's talk about like, you know, Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby. Are they probably better 
now than what Wayne Gretzky was 20 years ago. Yeah, probably. They could probably like if you put them in their prime against each other, they'd probably fucking skate circles around him. Yeah. You can look at that in terms of production or whatever have you for music, but it doesn't like like Wayne Gretzky is still the greatest. <laughs> But you're still watching some of the greatest do it now in Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. And so I'm going to translate that back to music and that Rush is still one of the top three to top five greatest Canadian artists of all time. Undisputed, I think, in most people's minds. Mm -hmm. But. But are there elements of music that can be done better and have been done better based on different metrics vis-a-vis city and color yeah maybe so you know what i mean so it's it's hard to it's been hard in this entire conversation throughout all these albums to go hey what is like a great person that you think of in canadian history oh um neil young for example like we were talking about harvest that's a great album but this album's better and you have to justify that and that's where i go fuck (laughs) you know what i mean like it's okay so so I'm, I I hope that put my yeah. perspective into context. Maybe I'll maybe I'll make it easier for you. Mm, okay. So 3 years ago I saw City and Color perform mm. on Canada Day mm. in a park in Peterborough mm. at a free open show um mm. to anyone and I say City and Color but I mean Dallas Green cuz he was the only one there. It was him solo acoustic. I've never felt more national pride in my life. I'm not necessarily one of those people. <laughs> However, in this park, it was it was on the side of like a river. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I think City <laughs> and Color is the better created has the better Canadian album. That's what I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna call it. This is my take. <laughs> I love, no, the rationale is good, man. Um, listen, I I, I saw him. He was one of my, not one of my first, con- actually I have my list right here. He was one of my first concerts. Um, sorry, I'm going to actually look at my, I got the whole, my whole concert list right next to me. Here, yeah. So I'm just going to look at it real quick. Um, he was probably my sixth, seventh concert ever. Um, so, you know, and I've, I've seen a lot of shows since then. Um, and that was in 2016. That was just after Gord Downey got diagnosed with, uh, with brain cancer. And, and I was not a hip fan at this time. I didn't really know the tragically hip at this time. I did, but like, not, not really, you know what I mean? Like I, you know, I like, I knew them and he did the most beautiful rendition of Bob Cajun that I have ever heard in my life. At the time, I did not know this. Um, I just knew that he was playing a tragically hip song, but it's just him and a guitar playing Bob Cajun by the tragically hip. Mm -hmm. It was at the, what was it called then? Molson Amphitheater. It wasn't Budweiser uh, Stage. Yeah. It was Molson Amphitheater. And playing to, what, 15,000 people maybe? Probably? Yeah, he impacts people in there. Give or take. Oh, man. Um, I never got to see Rush play. My dad saw them play once in 1991 uh, with the Tragically Hip opening for them. Uh, oh. <laughs> at the, at, I believe it was at Maple Leaf Gardens. Um. Oh, that should tell you something. That's and that was show. when the Tragically Hip were just like becoming the Tragically Hip. Ninety three would have been like right after Fully Completely. 
And so, so I think about that and, and I, I want, again, I, 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 this hurts me because like, you know, I, I love Rush. I love Rush. I love music, moving pictures. I phenomenal. I, I, I will never dismiss it. I will still recommend it as probably one of my favorite Canadian albums of all time. But I think the feeling and, and I know feeling such a <laughs> like it's such a subjective and like almost I, I would say awful lazy way to, awful, awful way to run a show like this. Well, but it's, it's okay. it, you know, I'm, I'm very self-aware. It's lazy. Yeah. Um, it's it's super lazy. But um, the feeling you get from from listening to Bring Me Your Love um, is one of connection is one of like really understanding the artist in one of it makes you feel like. I want to listen to that. Same with, excuse me, bon, Bonnie Bear's uh, Forever Forever Ago. I want to go up into a fucking log cabin the way he fucking wrote it and listen to it on my own while having a glass of whiskey or something mm-hmm. at like two in the morning and be sad. Like, that's the same feeling that I get with Bring Me Your Love, right? And I just like, I want to feel that connection with the music. And I'm not saying that Rush doesn't do that, but they don't do it in the same way. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like um and this is also super lazy <laughs> i feel like dallas green is like just a dude um who gets up there and kind of like he could be like any person that you've like gone and seen like a local show or like you've gone to like your buddy's like place and he knows a guy who's got a guitar mm-hmm. he just happens to be like a fantastic one of those yep. and there's just something just feels so right about that in my heart and then that's why that's why I'm kind of sticking where I'm sticking. Yeah. And and that's fair too. Like and 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 I'll touch on this real quick before I before I kind of wrap it up, but like the thing with Rush is that if you know anything about them, they're just dudes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like again, same thing. Phenomenal at at, at their respective instruments and their their respective professions, but they're just dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not trying to be um fucking uh, I don't know who's a good example. Uh like I don't know, Dua Lipa or some shit like that. Like, I, I don't know. It's the first that came to my mind, man. I don't know. But like, they're not trying to be these big, you know, personalities. And shut up, Jackson. God damn it. Um, they're not trying to be. I, in my head, I went Mick Jagger and you said Dua Lipa. And I went, oh, those I are two very I watched the thing with Dua Lipa today on Saturday Night Live. And it was the first thing that came to my head. I'm sorry. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. No, no. But, you're right. Sure. But, but you know, at the end of the day, I think part of that Canadian ethos, if you will. And I think one thing that that maybe maybe ties all these people together is that they're not trying to be these larger than life figures, mm-hmm. these ultra super celebrities. You know, they're just dudes or gals and they're just going up and playing music because they're good at it and they like it. Um and that's one thing that I think and it's fucking shocking to me that I've taken 10 episodes to figure this out. But that's I think that's what binds all these people together is that there there's no real sense of 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 bigness about them. Spare Drake, maybe. But like, you know, there's no real sense of I'm this guy. I'm this person. I'm a huge celebrity. Um, and that's what I think I'm going to leave it at that. Dallas Green does a good job of just being Dallas Green and he doesn't have to be anything more than that or anything less. He just is what he is. And that's what this album evokes as an emotion. That's what I get from it. And that's why I am going to choose Bring Me Your Love over Moving Pictures. But I want to say that I still love Moving Pictures and that I wish it all the best in the future. 
yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, there's just something, it's just something feels, feels special. I mean, all these albums feel special, but I don't know. There's something feels different about Premier Love to me. Yeah. All right. We, we did it. Uh, this, I'm going to go cry myself to sleep now because of yeah, this is, this is only, only getting harder uh, as we continue. Um, and on that note, you can get super excited uh, to look forward to, um, Next week's episode, which is going to be putting up Jordan Mitchell's Blue against Buffy St. Marie's Power in the Blood, uh, which will be another uh, very interesting matchup. Um, two kind of uh, surprise hits of the show, uh, to say the very least, I think. And yeah, and then then after that, it'll be uh, music from Big Pink versus the Weekend's trilogy coming up uh, the weekend the Ooh. week after that. And then we'll be in the semifinals, and we'll be we'll be really We've starving. got our first matchup of the semifinals. Yeah, we do have our first matchup of the semifinal. <laughs> oh man, do we want to? I even don't like say- that episode. <laughs> uh, to even say out loud what the first match of the semifinals is will pay me to say it, but I will say. You can look forward to our first semifinal match uh, in several weeks' time, which will be the Tragically Hips fully completely going up against City and Colors. Bring me your love. Oh, baby. What? This week, this week was hard, and yet that sounds so much worse. Uh, They're even kind of doing the same thing, too, which makes it even harder. We can't even be like, oh, they're so different, yet the same. Uh, All right. Well, in that case, um, let me know. Have you seen anyone near a river perform music? Uh, and was it good? <laughs> let us know. <laughs> you can check us out on Instagram at GC Songbook. I, I yeah. keep forgetting to double check, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, let us know if you've seen anyone by a river. And <laughs> until next week, uh, you can check us out at Radio Laurier, we're live every Saturday or every Friday at 7 p.m., uh, which if you were listening to us live, you already know that. Um, or alternatively, you can check us out on basically any podcast service of your choice. Specifically, we're sharing Spotify just because it's a, a very universal um, place for people to go. And if you don't have a Spotify premium, you can still listen to podcasts easily on Spotify. I, I say this not being 100% sure of that, but I'm like 99% sure. I've got no idea. Confidence is everything. Anyways, uh, till next week, true patriot love.